dark save for light being cast from the big tv screen and the imminent sunrise that's teasing the one starry sky with whispers of morning hey, you sit there alone in Hello, your one-bedroom flat you stare what are you doing here in my house you just show you just show up well, I just show up and the person is surprised and possibly unnerved to see me. <laughs> no, I'm just imagining I'm going to like, all right, close the computer. This was really fun. It's time to go to bed. I'm going to open my closet to put something away and be like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh God, <he's laughs> You're still- just going to be standing there. <laughs> you claim you like horror movies and stuff. so I do like horror movies and stuff, but I prefer not to live them. <laughs> In my real life. Then you are not truly committed. (laughs) Okay, well, time to go get a Ouija board just to prove you wrong, jerk. There you go. Uh, So, (laughs) hey, you're you're a not George person, but you're you've you've come here to help me with a project. So uh, Mm -hmm. long time listeners of Nostalgia Goggles uh, may have heard uh, George and I refer um Let's say less than graciously <laughs> to Pokemon Snap. Uh, so uh, you, uh, mm-hmm. one of those longtime listeners, have been essentially asserting that Pokemon Snap is fine and that we should shut our damn mouths. It's true. Yeah, and you should. And I'm here to prove. I'm here to prove you wrong. While George can't <laughs> talk back to me. <laughs> That's so. right. So challenge accepted. So uh, we played Pokemon Snap. We did. Uh, and, and for uh, our little fact-finding mission here, uh, this came out in 1999, which mm-hmm. puts it firmly in the, the realm of years where if someone said 1995 or 2002, I would have been like, yeah, I believe that, right? Just that, <laughs> I'm telling you, that second half of the 90s, like, it makes no sense to me somehow. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I never played this as a kid, so my Nostalgia Goggles experience for this is I knew it existed, and I think I even had a couple friends that had it, but I was not a Pokemon kid somehow, probably because I didn't have a Game Boy. I completely missed the Pokemon train. I didn't do the Pokemon car game. I didn't watch the Pokemon TV show. Like there's an entire section of nerd culture that is so overwhelmingly large that I know about it just through like proxy osmosis, but I was never actually a part of. Right. I, I know some British terms just because I have seen British television. I am not British. Like, that's how I feel about Pokemon. <laughs> and then on my end, which I should have, to be fair, before I insisted we play Pokemon Snap, I should have asked you your opinions on Pokemon in general, because <laughs> I was the kid who, and this is a true story. Um, so Red and Blue came out in 1998. And I I love the uh, I played both of them. I had one, my sister had one, and we would trade them back and forth. Um, but my favorite Pokemon was Bulbasaur. So when Pokemon Green came out, I had to have it. And my mom, being the angel she is, decided to get it for me before it came out in the U.S. So she, I got like she imported it. Like I don't know if it was eBay. I'll have to ask her. I have no <laughs> idea how she got it, but she got her hands on a Japanese cartridge, and it, it worked in in the American system because presumably they're the same. The only problem was it was completely in Japanese. 
Yeah. And I don't speak Japanese, <laughs> but I still beat the game just because I had played blue and red so many times. I even got the Magikarp from the random guy in the one Pokemon Center and turned it into like that is how into Pokemon I was. I, I was. I was a Pokemon kid. So it, have, have you ever watched any speedrunning, like watch somebody speedrun a game of Pokemon of just of any game? I mean, yes, because I have YouTube. Well, thank you. There's lots of things on YouTube I hope you don't watch. Um, but there's uh, I, I find it really fascinating when people speed run like 40-hour JRPGs because they're just blowing through all this text. And I'm like, they have memorized everything they need to do so deeply that they don't need to read any of the story. They don't need to read any of the instructions. They don't even read the menus. They just go through them mechanically. <laughs> And that is now I'm imagining like, I don't know, 10 year old you with like that level of sophistication with Pokemon. Like that's how you played Pokemon. You're like, I can't read yeah. any of this and it does not matter. Yep. That's a hundred, 110% how it was. I'm like, eh, he's saying something, whatever. I know I have to pick the second option to move forward. And so that was, that was it. So Pokemon snap was, um, uh, it was like right in my wheelhouse because anything with Pokemon attached to it, <laughs> I was like, what? Okay, that, I, yes. I almost wish I hated Pokemon as like a genre so that this could be like super adversarial. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't have anything against Pokemon. It just wasn't my, like it wasn't my thing, right? I didn't avoid it. I just, because I didn't have the consoles for it, I didn't consume it. And the the cartoon I don't honestly remember why I avoided the cartoon. I avoided the card game because so help me God, I will not play a game where you can pay to win and collectible mm. card games are pay to win games. <laughs> oh, but that's a whole other two hour topic, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So the last thing I will say about this before we, we jump into the visuals, unless you have some mm -hmm. crazy nostalgia goggle story is, um, uh, this is what's known as an on rails shooter. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, it is, huh. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, I went to arcades sometimes as a kid and I've been to like barcades as an adult and, and you mm -hmm. always, you know, you grab like one of your friends and you're like, Oh, we're going to go play house of the dead or we're going to go play whatever. And those are on rail shooters. Right. And so when I turned this game on, and they're like, oh, you're going to be in this little mine car. And I was like, oh, okay. That's, that's how I get through the world. Like it automatically moves. And I was like, okay. And like, and then you shoot pictures of Pokemon. And I was like, oh my God, this is an on rail shooter. Like someone sat down at a big Oak board table, a big professor Oak board table, boardroom <laughs> table and said, well, people love on rail shooters in all those arcades. Look at all those quarters that kids pump in there. And kids sure do love Pokemon. How do we make a Pokemon on rail shooter? I am so furious <laughs> that I never put that together before. I'm so mad. And I've played like every time I go to an arcade, I play House of the Dead. <laughs> and like this is the kid version of that. And I'm so angry. It is. And the thing that really blew my mind, and I mean, I know this is incredibly obvious. It's not like this is a deep revelation, but the fact that shooting is what you do with a film camera like you shoot mm -hmm. pictures i was like this is literally an on-rail shooter like it's not it's not being clever it's not being funny like 
They took the literal definitions of those two words. You are in a mine car on rails and you are shooting. It is an on rail shooter. I mean, I was going to make a this is the only first person shooter Pokemon game joke later, but like that I can't beat this. <laughs> Yay, episode over. <laughs> well, the curtain falls. This is great. Thanks for having me. Bye forever. <laughs> it's okay. I'm apparently there in your closet. Um, <laughs> so let's uh let's rip the visuals apart because it's an N64 game, so you know there's lots to say about the visuals. I know you're gonna make fun of the hands in the game. I I I'm just like there's some hoof psychically hands. no. Yeah. Hoof hands. There's some yeah, hoof hands. There's some. There's some. <laughs> <laughs> I mean they're they're super low poly, right? It, it's an N64 game, but I feel like the the humans don't lend themselves well to low poly, but you actually don't see humans for very much of the game. It's almost all the Pokemon and they're cartoony blobby intentionally designed so that it was cheap to animate and easy for children to draw style is Mm -hmm. actually lends itself okay to low poly graphics yeah i thought it was smart because so all right you see your character for like two seconds at the beginning of each level but you see professor oak a lot more and I like that they did him as a cartoon, not in the terrible 3D graphics of the N64 generation. Agreed. It like, you know, they, they could safely assume that people playing this game are Pokemon fans and probably watch the show, which I did and I did. <laughs> so, you know, safe, safe assumption, Nintendo. Um, so it, it felt like it was really trying to appeal to like that specific subsection of people. And, uh, yeah, it definitely overcomes that specific limitation of the N64 because people are garbage. People look terrible in that system. They did then and they do now, and we were willing to put up with it then, but by God, I have a PlayStation 4, <laughs> and I have no need for this nonsense. So. Yeah. No, th- this is uh, the great blight of this era because I love my PS1 but a lot of PS1 games, I mean, Final Fantasy VII is the king of hoof hands. Like, that is where I learned the term <laughs> hoof hands, is because yeah. Cloud Strife has gigantic hoof hands. And because of the way they chose to give him gloves, they literally look like hooves. So it's even worse. <laughs> but yeah. the th- this is something Nintendo is is pretty good at in the N64 era, is respecting where they don't have to push the technical boundaries of the hardware and for the time that professor oak is on screen having the very game boy era pokemon style you know what's it like from his waist up roughly Mm -hmm. um you know the kind of like talking head style where it's a static image and then occasionally depending on what he's saying it might smash cut to a different static image like now i'm furrowed brows professor oak and now i'm (laughs) smiling professor oak and and that's not only was that acceptable then, but that style of static images that just change slightly with emotion is still in modern games. Like a lot of modern mm-hmm. RPGs and modern, um, you know, it's like you're talking to someone who's on the radio and so you just see a static image of them while they're speaking. That's not an uncommon way to convey a little bit of additional contextual information about the tone without having to fully rig and fully animate them. 
And if they're still doing it now because it's successful, it sure as hell made sense then when rendering him in polygons would have made him look like a terrifying Cronenberg. <laughs> the re- the final boss of Pokemon Snap is Professor Oak. <laughs> uh, no, but they, I, I agree that I think that they actively tried to make the environments and the Pokemon in them look as much like the c- cartoon as possible. And it, it does like the cartoony shapes lend themselves to it very well. I think that's probably one of the same reasons that they included as many Pokemon as they do in the um, Super Smash Brothers games. Because mm. up until fairly recently, like Samus, zero, zero suit Samus would have been impossible for the Nintendo 64 or like solid snake. They would have looked horrifying, yeah. but Pikachu uh, and Jigglypuff are super easy, super easy, yeah. super easy. And not just identifiable, but when you go from 2d to 3d, that is a difficult thing to do. Like mm. I love Disney, but every once in a while I will see a, a toy or a model or something like in the Disney store or like a statue they want you to take a picture next to. And it's a 3d version of like one of the 2d era princesses. And sometimes like their face just doesn't seem quite right. And it's because your brain has like internalized what they looked like as a flat cartoon. So making that jump is a difficult thing to do because I'm sure, I mean, these are Disney animators. I'm sure they make them have normal ish proportions. But to go from 2D to 3D is such a friggin' challenge. But to mm. go from 2D to 3D when you have to do complicated things like turn these circles into spheres, turn this outline of a cylinder into a cylinder, like those are transitions that happen really well and that I think your brain is totally fine with. So, you know, when you see like little, you know, horse pill shaped Pikachu or like, uh, you know, Eevee, which is kind of like a, I know he's supposed to be what what is he? is he like a deer he's like he's sort of like a Eevee <laughs> no I mean like he like his legs are too long for him to be like a cat or a dog maybe oh you know he's like a fox he's like a savannah cat that's what he's like <laughs> <laughs> but like simple shapes don't you make yes, fun of my savannah, savannah cat. cat yes savannah cat the simplest shape of them all <laughs> I mean, I have, a, I have little kids, you know, they're in, they're in preschool and, and kindergarten. They come home with their math homework and it's, it's triangles, squares, and Savannah cats. Like, <laughs> oh God. Have. Well, I don't have kids though. I would, I, I didn't know that that's the new shapes, like the new math. The new shapes. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. But I mean, don't, don't you agree? Like there's something about those simple 2d animations that lends itself so well to 3d oh yeah absolutely i mean especially the original pokemon which i feel like modern pokemon are just i I don't even know where they're getting these ideas from they're like pulling they're so bizarre (laughs) that they released the three starters for the um the new pokemon series sword and shield and one of the crazy fan theories I saw online is that they based them on the Powerpuff, Powerpuff Girls. Girls. Yes. That's how freaking crazy the new Pokemon designs are. But the old school Pokemon were like, this is a pink puffball with arms. This is another pink puffball with arms. This is a thing that apparently looks like a Savannah cat to some people <laughs> and like a fox to normal sane people. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tall fox. It's a long, a long-legged fox. fox. 
I don't know the way like, Evie gallops like in that first stage. I just I can't I don't see Fox when I see the adorable galloping. I, okay, I need to know which Pokemon you think Evie is. <laughs> the one that looks like Where? a Savannah cat. <laughs> no, e- Evie is uh, the fox looking one that can like evolve into like a water Evie or like a fire Evie. Okay. I'm I am really revealing my lack of Pokemon knowledge right now. No, no, no. You are a hundred percent right. Yeah. We're a hundred percent right. That is that is the Evie. It, it's the the gallop is more large, you know, like a deer like to me than the way like a fox like foxes and small dogs, they don't gallop. That's something like horses do. You know, I never thought about the way the Eevee sort of frolicked among <laughs> around the stones in the game. And I'm like, yeah, actually, that is a really weird running animation. And I never noticed that before. So thank you for slowly chipping away at my nostalgia goggles. Well, so here, here's the thing is because uh, you, you just kind of mentioned it is the later Pokemon are like weird because they're running out of things. Like there's like a thousand <laughs> Pokemon. And some of them, I swear to God, are just like pile of books <laughs> isn't one of I mean, them a light bulb there, i think one of them's a light bulb i think there's one that is an actual literal pile of garbage <laughs> like i i want to be joking but i honestly think that there is a pokemon that is an actual pile of garbage yeah. that has sentience and moves and can attack people <laughs> yeah so when you uh when you go back to like the original pokemon they had a lot more freedom to say oh Evie, it'll look kind of like a fox, but the way we will differentiate it from just a fox is it'll move a little differently, right? So they could like mm-hmm. rig it to move in like a more graceful kind of, you know, equine sort of way, but then it has like the big poofy tail and then it's got like a, I don't know what you call it on an animal, but it has like a collar. Like a, the rough. Yeah, like a big, a big rough. Rough is a good term for it, right? But it's like those small differences are just enough and I'm assuming they did this on purpose to make your brain go, Oh, this is its own thing. It's not just a cartoon Fox, right? Mm-hmm. Cause when you look at Evie, I don't think cartoon Fox, I think Evie, right? That Evie's a right. weird deer thing, right? When you look at like Pikachu, people are always like, Oh, it's the thunder rat, but like <laughs> Pikachu's its own thing. It's not quite a mm-hmm. bunny. It's not quite like a gopher. It's like its own thing even though each of its little design elements are very recognizable Mm -hmm. the the whole than the sum of its parts and they went for very simple designs that i think are more closely line up with what you see in nature and i'm saying this like thinking of some of the original 150 pokemon and being like lions is going to get angry tweets about this but it's not my problem so i'm going to say i'm going to make these sweeping generalizations anyway (laughs) but i mean like ponyta the Pokemon that runs at you in the first like five seconds of the um, volcano level mm. is literally just a horse with fire instead of hair. That's it. That's what a ponytail is. It's very, yeah, they, they could sort of go as simple as they wanted to. And they did. They went with some of, some are still the like diary of a madman, but <laughs> some of them are, you know, like some of the, you know, wacky, wackier ones. But for the most part, they go pretty simple and, Things that feel like they could actually exist in real life. Like a, a Meowth is something that could theoretically be bred into existence with modern technology. Like it is it is a cat with a weird thing on its head. Like that would not, that is not it's, beyond the limits of human imagination. It's money. 
Oh yeah. It's it's it it's Japanese it. money. I can't remember what that era of their currency was called, but it's like a big gold coin. Right. Yeah, that. I mean, listen, take a cat. <laughs> Get, get some super glue <laughs> and you have a meowth. <laughs> Boom. I, my my cat when I was a kid used to walk up on its hind legs sometimes. And I'm not kidding. Like it was a thing we always were like, Snickers, why are you doing that? <laughs> uh, well, back to horror movies, I guess. Yeah, it was. You got used to it. it like she didn't do it a lot. But when she did, you were kind of like, huh? Um, <laughs> but uh, so I'm. Okay, so the the Pokemon we've established, like, they're fine. And some of them, mm-hmm. I swear to God, are uh, literally just rocks. And the N64 is capable of rendering rocks. So, like, those <laughs> ones all look super accurate. Um, <laughs> but the levels, I feel like they're... I don't want to say they phoned in the levels, but, like, if you, <laughs> if you pause and, like, look at your surroundings, they are almost unbelievably boring. There is- I very, I very generously wrote as my note on the backgrounds, and I quote: "The backgrounds don't have a lot of detail in order to highlight the Pokemon." <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> which I think is maybe giving them too much credit. But yes, they are like just features of the landscape that they just painted grass onto or rock or whatever texture they needed in order to make it work. Yeah. And I think part of the reason that feels odd to me is because first off, I did not notice this until I paused, right? Because Mm -hmm. during gameplay, the backgrounds sort of fade into the background so that you can focus (laughs) on the Pokemon, right? You want to, there, there's very little in the environment that moves Right. So, mm-hmm. so any movement kind of directs you like, oh, that is definitely a Pokemon because the only things right. in the environment that move are Pokemon. So I think they probably did keep them super simple, partially on purpose. But mm-hmm. the, uh, the anime had fairly rich backgrounds because they're not animated, they're static. And that's mm-hmm. why backgrounds in cartoons always tend to look a little bit better than their surroundings. Right. And, and like modern. Uh, cartoons have some some have even taken this to the extreme where the background like if you think like a Miyazaki movie right like they're beautiful unbelievably richly detailed paintings oh god yeah and then Miyazaki was like no but then the characters also all need to look that good and created like a huge amount of work for those people in in the Pokemon (laughs) universe they did like more of the normal cartoon thing where like backgrounds are slightly higher res than the characters who are like more flat colors but now mm-hmm. it's like everything is being rendered in character level animation, like very little to no dynamic shadows. The light seems to just kind of be coming from everywhere. Like it's not obvious that there's a star in the sky and that it's casting <laughs> shadows because it's a certain time of day. It's always perfect for photography, whether you're indoors and underground or up like in on the moon. Like it's <laughs> it's. They completely sacrifice the realism of the environment for the mechanic of of taking photographs. <laughs> I mean, I don't think as a game it's going for realism. There's, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are liter- there's actually parts of the game where you basically make the Pokemon attack you so you can get better pictures and you just walk away from it like, oh, this was great. I'm going to submit these photos to Professor Oak. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that went fine. I just really pissed off that thunder rat, but it's fine. 
I just got fire breathed all over me by the Charizard, but I'm I'm cool. They didn't. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, you like he comes up out of the volcano. Yeah, and if you throw a pester ball at him when he does that, he will turn and breathe fire directly at you. Right. So you can get a really sick shot. And you get more um, points for action shots. Exactly. Yeah. So. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So I don't remember Professor Oak saying uh, this goofy little minecart I'm going to put you in is also like in- indestructible and you will be completely safe. But apparently you are. I mean, when it teleport. Okay, so when it teleports in to whatever level you're on, you see a like bubble around it for a second. And I always assumed that was the teleportation bubble, which, first of all, Professor Oak has teleportation technology. Can we talk about that? Because (laughs) that changes the nature of every single Pokemon game that has ever existed. How dare you make me run back and forth through that long grass if you could instantly teleport me where I needed to go? But anyway. That does raise questions. (laughs) But so you see this bubble around the thing. So I just always, like as a kid, assumed it stayed as a like shield so that Mm. you were safe from all the Pokemon. Cause you know, in terms of wildlife photography, you're pretty out there and exposed. And then he literally hands you an item that is specifically designed to pester the animals (laughs) and annoy them. So they will come out of hiding, (laughs) which feels like really unsafe advice to give kids. (laughs) But I mean, the entire Pokemon universe is what if all adults hated all children? (laughs) Uh, how to be set up for failure in life <laughs> a game series by nintendo <laughs> yeah there's no there's no fathers anywhere children are it's like uh like ancient judaism like taken to the extreme like you're 10 now get out of the house <laughs> <laughs> you're a man here's your pokeballs go out into the wilderness and don't come back until you've defeated all of the adults who run the gym and and up to and including later until you have subjugated all the gods of our universe. Oh, God. Uh, oh man. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's intentionally weird, right? You 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 say for the visuals they're not going for realism. The entire Pokemon universe is not going for realism, <laughs> which is why I've always found the Pokemon movies where they like have tearjerker moments so hilarious, but we don't have to go off cuz that that is also a separate podcast. I mean, that is, I was a, like I said, I was a huge Pokemon fan until the first Pokemon movie where Ash, I mean, spoiler alert for like a 20 year old movie, but like when Ash dies and gets brought back to life by Pikachu's tears. And that was the exact moment my suspension of disbelief broke and I couldn't handle the Pokemon universe anymore. (laughs) I remember sitting and watching the movie like, yeah, I'm into this. This is great. This is what? the hell just happened i'm done i'm out i'm throwing my pokemon cards away this is it <laughs> <laughs> this is too i can't this is unrealistic okay i can't handle this yeah it's uh it's always fascinating to me where those lines are for people and i think it like different <laughs> stages in your life like if you had been 7 when the pokemon movie came out you might feel differently than if you were like 14 or 21 when the pokemon movie came out you know what i mean so like I I always find it interesting to hear nerds say like, you know, oh, and the, and then in like in with one of the new was it uh I think it's the newest Star Wars as the time of this recording. Like people mm. were super pissed that Leia was able to use the force to pull herself <laughs> back into the ship. Just through space. And it was like, wait, so you're mad that the space witch used her space magic 
to save her <laughs> life. Like you're okay with her being a space witch and you're okay that there is space magic, but the fact that she used it to save her life, that's a bridge too far. People are like, yeah, it's just so unbelievable. It's like, yes, yep, <laughs> that's it. That's the only thing in the Star Wars universe that's unbelievable. Listen, listen, when Darth Vader uses the force to choke people, it's cool, okay? When Leia uses the force to zoom through space, apparently it's not cool, and we have to hate it contractually because we're terrible people as a conglomerate? <laughs> I don't I don't know. Human beings are awful, and we are <laughs> legally obligated to continue to be awful out loud on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what I don't get paid to do. <laughs> so I... Looking over my notes for the visuals, um, I realized uh, there aren't a lot, right? Because mm-hmm. they focused so heavily on uh, the the Pokemon themselves, which I agree with, and so little on the environments, which I also kind of agree with. Um, because uh, you know, when we talk about like how the the visuals service the gameplay, uh, it's really well. Like I, oh yeah, you, you cannot say. Oh, I didn't know that there was a Pokemon over there or oh, I didn't know that there was things that I'm supposed to be taking pictures of like the core mechanic like which we'll talk about when we get to the mechanics but like the core <laughs> mechanic of the game is visual in nature, right? Like mm-hmm. it's taking photographs. So if, if the the visuals didn't support that, that would be incredibly jarring. And so they were very careful to make sure that all of the visuals are in service of that with, I will say this one exception. I don't love that. Some of the secrets you unlock are throw crap at crap and see if anything happens Mm. because like, so uh, when you're in the river, uh, is it, I think it's literally just called river at that level. The last level. Yeah. Or the, is it, okay, so there's the, there's two where you're on a river. There's the valley and there's the river. Is it the, the What's, earlier one? Which is the one that you can make the, uh, the Magikarp jump out of? All of them. <laughs> any, and it, any and it, body of, it, literally any body of water in this game, if you throw enough apples into, a Magikarp will inevitably appear and jump out at you. Okay, so then th- this kind of, you as a player need to know that magic carps are a thing and that they're mm-hmm. in the water and that agitating the water might potentially get one to come out. I don't think that there's any bubbles. I don't think that there's any uh, steam rising off of the surface of the water. There's no sparkle or shimmer. Like you just need to know that you can potentially throw apples into the river and that a mag- that a Pokemon you might want to take a picture of will come out. And that's that annoys me because there should be some kind of visual to indicate that agitating the water might potentially have an effect because otherwise they're just relying on you to know as a player what Pokemon are, what kind of Pokemon there are and where Pokemon might be like mm-hmm. that. That's the one place where I felt like the visuals broke down because they, I mean the 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 was it a char Charizard that comes? What comes up out of the lava? Oh, the Charizard. Char, okay, it is Charizard. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got it. Well done. Hey, I'm usually, good job, buddy. I'm usually not quite this uninformed, but I would say most <laughs> of the games we play for nostalgia goggles don't have a dictionary worth of specific terms I need to have memorized. 
It's all right. Just you got the Pokemans. Po- You're fine. Pocket mans. Um, <laughs> but like, the, I don't think there's anything going on in the little lava pool that would indicate throw apples in here and things will happen. And mm-hmm. so that like, as a kid, maybe I wouldn't be annoyed by like throwing apples at everything. But as a, an older, more games literate player, I would like to know which parts of the world I'm expected to pelt with apples instead of just Mm -hmm. pelting everything with apples nonstop just to see what happens. And to be completely fair, the game does do a really good job of telegraphing. This is a secret. You should interact with it, right? Like there's a lot of movement animation. There's a lot of Pokemon moving in and out of spaces. It does a really good job of that, except for the water and the lava. And then it gets very inconsistent where you could sit there and throw apples into lava the entire time and not see anything. And then there's, I think, only two random spots where things come out of the lava. And it's that with the Charizard. And just before that, with the three pools of lava that you can get the Growlithe and the Arcanine to jump out of. But like, even as a, I don't think I discovered those until I was older. I don't know that I ever found the Growlithe and the Arcanine in that level as a kid. Because it's like, you have to lob the pester ball in and land it like perfectly in those multiple times to get it to come out and it's like okay normally you go towards movement that's where the pokemon are hidden but all of the lava is moving so how do i know that those lava pools are the pokemon lava pools and not the other lava pools well and the levels are visually simplistic not just in terms of the n64's graphics capabilities but Mm -hmm. the world is sparsely populated there is not much going on in terms of like like there isn't a bunch of furniture laying around or tons and tons of foliage. Like the mm-hmm. the world is fairly sparsely populated. So when you're in the mine level, the tunnel, the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> got it. <laughs> when you nailed it. When you're in the tunnel, there's like um, those little like light button things, like little yellow up on the stand. There's like two or three of them. I'm trying to remember where it, it looks where is it that? looks like a little red light on top of like a yellow box oh yes uh-huh you know, but there's not like they're not everywhere there's like right. two of them and they stand out because they're like a bright color against like the gray rock face so it's super obvious like hey there's in this entire level there's like five things that aren't pokemon so maybe interact with them and see if something happens, right? Like there's the, mm-hmm. the, the, it's not a volt orb. It's the other one that explodes. Oh, the electrode. Yeah. Him. Uh, sorry. <laughs> yes. Them. Uh, the, the round, the round ones, yeah. but they, uh, are right near the only rock face in the entire level that looks like rubble. Right. And you know mm-hmm. that they explode. And so there are Pokemon. So you think like if I interact with them, they might explode because I've seen other ones explode. So even if you didn't know that the game tells you that this Pokemon explodes and they're near what looks like loose rock. Right. So mm-hmm. there are lots of places in the game where they furnish you with all the information you might need to stitch together the story that they're trying to tell you, except in the water and the lava. They're like, nah, figure it out. Asshole. Just figure <laughs> it out. Well, and I do think this is where we have a disadvantage with this game as adults, because I do believe this is a game designed specifically for kids, that we as adult, intelligent adult, mature gamers aren't going to just sit here and spam the throw things button at everything to see what happens. 
But as a kid, it's like, I saw something move over there. I'm going to throw a thing at it. So what I did as a kid was literally just every time I encountered any new environment, the first thing I would do is every single item I had, I would spam that button just to see what would happen. So a lot of the stuff that I found, a lot of the like little secrets and stuff, of which there are a fair amount, which we will talk about later, um, were mostly found by me ultimately like slamming on the buttons as hard as I could just to see what would happen because little kids are sociopaths who will happily throw a pester ball at a wall just to see. But like pester as adults, we're like, pester. oh, <laughs> kids are very good at pestering. Um, <laughs> but as an adult, it's like, why would I, why would I waste a resource that way? It doesn't make sense. If the game wanted me to interact with this, the game would telegraph that for me versus as a kid, you just need to see a Magikarp jump out of the water once to be like, but what if there's Magikarp in every water and I have things <laughs> I can throw? <laughs> and like, that was it. That was all the information I needed. Well, and you're, you may be even more right than you realize because they made film a resource, but they made pester balls and apples unlimited. Yep. So you have 60 <laughs> frames of 60 shots on your camera every time you go into a level. But mm -hmm. when you get the apples, you have unlimited apples. When you get the pester balls, you have unlimited pester balls. So they designed them so that you can just rain them down in all directions with complete abandon. And mm -hmm. part of me wants to say like, oh, well, that's because the throwing arc is garbage and it's impossible to tell if you're going to hit or even get anywhere close <laughs> to your target. So they wanted to give you a break, but the entire game is trying to capture something with a limited resource. It's just, you're trying to capture a photograph with a limited resource, right? In the Pokemon games, pokeballs are a limited resource. Like you wouldn't mm -hmm. waste a master ball on a ratatat on a ratatouille, right? So <laughs> <laughs> you were doing so well your, your look <laughs> and then you had frustrated disappointment was like honey to me just so I was like mm, he's got it he's mm, getting it right mm, oh no he went for the lulz god <laughs> damn it <laughs> this piece of garbage which apparently is also a pokemon <laughs> i gotta google that but i know how you feel about research so i won't do it now yeah, can, i'll wait until after yeah, there you go see you're totally on brand you fit right in um <laughs> But yeah, it's uh they they specifically chose to make those unlimited and and I believe it's because kids will do that. Kids will just be like mm -hmm. apple 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 pester ball pester ball pester ball apple 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 <laughs> and then forget they're even supposed to be taking pictures. Uh I'm not saying that happened. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm going to imply it very heavily with my tone of voice. <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying that, but I am thinking it loudly. <laughs> Uh, but one one note, just to jump off of something you mentioned earlier with visuals, because I think this was the last visual note that I had, um, speaking of Pokeballs. So this game is a Pokemon game, but it is very different from every other Pokemon game you play in that you're not ever actually capturing Pokemon and then teaching them to hate and forcing them to fight one another. <laughs> but But I really appreciated that they still capture part of that in this game where when you zoom in the um the like little symbol in the middle of the screen to help you center the camera and know what you're taking a picture of reticle okay <laughs> <laughs> i no i can't be mad at you for being pedantic i made fun of you for not knowing what an eevee was mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. <laughs> we're fa fair <laughs> the reticle looks like a pokeball and i just really appreciate that <laughs> Yeah, no, the, and and it only looks like a Pokeball, I think, after you zoom in. 
Is that right? Because uh, mm. it, it does change. It may look like a Pokeball before you zoom in, but it definitely changes. It, it definitely changes. And when the Pokeball is centered over an actual Pokemon, the middle of it lights up red so that you know that you have a Pokemon dead center in the frame and that if you take a picture of it, like it will be, in theory, a better shot as a result. Right. Yeah. No, that it's... It feels like a game designed for children because it is very visually simple and very mechanically simple, but it's it, it's not thoughtless, right? Yeah. Like like we were we were saying kind of in the pre-show that you know the difference between like family friendly and made for children is things that are made for children are like poison for adults and. I wouldn't say this is the most fun game I've ever played. I don't want to give away how I felt about it, but like it's <laughs> it's not it's not Super Mario World, right? This is not mm-hmm. a link to the past. This is not Final Fantasy VI. It's but it's not trying. It's not that it's trying to be those things and failing. They said we want to have this really really simple experience, and we're gonna mm-hmm. that's gonna be the whole life. It's gonna be visually really simple. It's gonna be mechanically really simple. And here comes the segue. Even the audio will be really simple. <laughs> Oh, what a perfect segue. We'll just jump right into audio then, shall we? We that shall. Was be- beautifully done. Well, well, well done. Years of it's almost like you know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, the audio. So number one, as a Pokemon fan, I, I will to this day never understand why they didn't use any of the original Pokemon music. Okay. Thank you for saying that because <laughs> I don't know much of the Pokemon music. But I have actually played uh, some of the original Pokemon games a little bit, um, and and I've I've like been exposed, like I said, to the culture just because it's so much. Like it's like someone saying like, "Oh, I don't know what Mickey Mouse is," and it's like, "Come on!" Like you, you may not be a huge Disney fan, but you know what that is, right? Right. For someone to say like, "Oh, I don't even know what Pokemon is," like, yes, you do. Like <laughs> you may not be an expert, but you do know what it is, and every level i was just like did they bother to write original music for this game (laughs) they did and in some ways that pisses me off more because i'm like you had at this point you had pokemon blue and red i'm pretty sure the cartoon was going on and they were probably actively working on pokemon stadium at this point because i think it only came out if not the same year, then like not long after. So like you had a well to pull from. I appreciate the attention. Like I appreciate you attempting to craft a really unique individual standalone game, but that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to take pictures of Pokemon. Give me the Pokemon experience. It's like, okay, it's like with Pokemon Go. So Pokemon Go was great and my childhood realized and I spent many hours wandering around outside Boston in the wintertime taking pictures of Pokemon. So that's how into that I was. Um, the po- the music they have for that is the music from the original Pokemon, but it's tweaked just enough to be, I don't know if it, they needed it to be just legally distinct enough or what, <laughs> but just enough to piss me right the hell off. So I appreciate Pokemon Snap not doing that. Mm. So it's worse to do a bad imitation than to do your own thing? So it's like when you're walking down a staircase and all of the steps are the same distance apart, except for one, which is one inch lower than you expect it to be. I see. What happens? No, I I know the exact feeling you are talking about. 
it's that it's that sense of dissonance, mm-hmm. you, especially for a super fan like yourself. Those patterns are <laughs> deeply ingrained, right? And so when you hear deviation from the pattern, but it's not clear that it's supposed to be an interpretation, right? Because mm-hmm. like in the Smash Brothers franchise, like they have Pokemon music, right? But it's it's the Smash Brothers cover, right? Like it's done right. in the style and with the instrumentation of those various consoles, right? But it's you don't it, it's like a cover band. It's like, oh, they're playing the Pokemon music or they're playing the, you know, the 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 overworld music or whatever, and like and you just make your peace with it. But mm-hmm. if midway through there was like a little piano concerto you'd be like no (laughs) (laughs) what but no they they not only crafted original music for this they crafted unique music for every single level for your screen with professor oak although the one piece of music that i noticed they did repeat was the um volcano music so the volcano music is on the volcano level and when you're being judged by professor oak that music is the music that plays, which also was weird to me. I was huh. like, oh, maybe they repeated multiple ones. And I went back and like <laughs> listened to all of them again. It was like, nope, just the one. <laughs> what? Huh. That for a company like Hal, because Hal Laboratories made this, right? So for a company mm-hmm. like Hal Laboratories partnering with Nintendo as they did, that makes me want to give them the benefit of the doubt and be like, size constraints? Like they yeah. they were trying to keep the music to like a certain amount of storage space, maybe for some reason, mm-hmm. right? But I mean that's that's a pretty generous interpretation with no <laughs> strong evidence other than I think very highly of those two companies. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I I feel like I'm coming across as really harsh towards the music. The music I actually really liked. I thought it was great video game music in the sense that it each song was designed clearly specifically for the environment in which it was played. Like the cave music was kind of echoey and like the little ooh, like weird, you know, not quite there many, but you know what I mean? Like a little- <laughs> I mean, yes, exactly. <laughs> like, the volcano music had a lot of like drums and xylophone. It was very exciting and energetic. And they, they ramp up the music in each level. So like the tunnel starts very like baseline. Okay, whatever. And like they add in more of the sort of electronica for kids as you go deeper in, which I appreciated. Um, so it's it's well-crafted, well-designed music that I tuned out super easily because I feel like that's in some ways the mark of good video game music is you you just don't notice that it's there at a certain point. But I just couldn't get over how much I wanted it to be Pokemon, like the Pokemon music that. Yeah, no, <laughs> made I'm, it. I'm I'm with you because I I have the official, you know, branded Pokemon music significantly less ingrained deeply into my psyche. Mm-hmm. But I did feel the same way that it was excellent ambiance music, right? Where mm-hmm. I, I was not humming along i couldn't hum along right now to any of those songs even though i was exposed to them quite recently but (laughs) it's i i always have mixed feelings about whether or not i should recognize music is happening because i'm a semi-musical person like i i used to play an instrument i used to sing like i i enjoy good music and Mm. i feel like i could play super mario world or Link to the Past or a Final Fantasy and be 
intentionally aware of the music and humming along to it and not feeling a separation where I'm like, why does the world have music all over? Like Super Mario world just has music. Like it's a musical world. Right. And, and that's like, it's not immersion breaking, but I also find it very immersive when the ambiance is just sort of washing over you and you're not really cognizant of it and you can't remember it later. And even if you heard it, you'd be like, Oh, what's that? And somebody's like, Oh, it's from that game or it's from that movie. Like I, I enjoy both of those things and I'm not always sure which one I prefer, but I would mm-hmm. say the execution on unrecognizable ambiance is done well here, right? Like it feels good in the moment and then you kind of forget about it forever. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think this is a, an area where you are at a slight disadvantage because you've sort of been trained through this podcast to focus on these really iconic musical pieces like the Zelda music, the Mario music, like a lot of the games that you've played have very, I mean, even the Final Fantasy series has very iconic songs associated with them. But I feel like the way, similarly to movie soundtracks, you know, it's good quality when in the moment you don't hear it at all. Mm -hmm. It just comes across as emotion or focus or just building the environment. And it's only later that you sit down and go, Hey, wait, I think I actually liked that one. Let me go back and see if I can find it again. Like it, it's just a part of the experience. And in some ways, if I can tune it out completely, that's kind of how I know it's really good. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think generally that is the role music should play. I think in video games, Nintendo games in particular, uh, like the new, did you play any of the new super Mario brothers games? I don't what console were they for? Uh it first happened I think on the Wii U. Then definitely not cuz I Ma- do not Maybe um, also on the 3DS. No, I don't think so. Okay, well, let me save you trouble. They are an affront to all that is good in the world. Um <laughs> I know people who like them. I think substantially less of those people. <laughs> okay. But I bring them up for a very specific reason. The uh, there, there's when you think of the Mario music, you're definitely thinking of like the original Mario song. But mm-hmm. if you've played any of the newer games, they have written incredibly catchy, toe tappy, you know, ragtimey music that is every bit as good. I think it's just less familiar to me because it was introduced at a time in the series where I was like, oh, these games aren't fun, and they were made by monsters. Um, so like. <laughs> Those are less ingrained in my psyche, even though I do still kind of know them. Uh, But the reason I bring them up is because those games decided what if the characters actually were aware of the music. And so like you have a little Koopa Troopa and they're walking. And then when it goes like, like the Koopa Troopa literally turns toward the camera and does like a little like dance break and then like goes back to walking And because that interrupts their flow of movement through the universe, you now really should not ignore the music as the player because that's going to change how you interact with enemies in universe. Huh? Yes. And it's weird at first. And then when you realize like, wait a minute, they can hear the music. (laughs) I mean, that's really lending itself to the theory that it's all one big stage production being put on by two immortals who are just bored. Which is some of my favorite headcanon ever. And I have absolutely (laughs) accepted as truth. 
<laughs> I mean, you, you, you told me that and I didn't even question it. I was just, I think I was actively playing Mario Odyssey. Like, yep, that fits. Yeah. <laughs> Done. It's amazing. That's the plot of these games now. Yeah. But, but that's, <laughs> that is the way crazy extreme of you as the player are aware of the music. And I would mm-hmm. say the, the kind of music that's in Pokemon snap and, and that games and movies, I think generally are going for is more way on the other side of the spectrum where it's like, yeah, we don't really want you to be aware of it. It, you should feel a certain way, right? Like Mm -hmm. in the lava level, you should feel, or the volcano level, whatever you should be, you should feel like, you know, kind of amped up and energized because you're in this like threatening environment and it's exciting. Mm -hmm. And on the beach level, you should feel like a little bit more chill because like you're on the beach and, and there's really nothing to worry about, but you shouldn't be humming along to the exciting music, right? Like you should just exactly. feel excited. And and that's, it, it's hard for me personally to say which one of those I prefer, but I, I think generally most people lean toward the ambiance wash over you, mm-hmm. forget it forever. Yeah. No, the only time I remember being really aware of the music without having to consciously focus myself on, all right, I'm going to have to comment on the music is when you get to the rainbow cloud, the last level mm-hmm. and you have to catch Mew and you finally get Mew out of that bubble <laughs> that I hate, that I've hated for so many years. Thank you, Nintendo, for that. Um, there's this really intense, like, heartbeat music that plays to, like, mm. amp up the, you know, like, you got you to gotta get the picture now. You got to get it now. Like, it's very intense to a degree where it reminded me most of a scene from the video game Alien Isolation. <laughs> <laughs> which is actively a horror game. <laughs> I was just like, I haven't, this is like really stressing me out. I can't figure out why. Oh God, it's just like that scene when you're waiting for the train to come in alien isolation and you can hear the music and you know the aliens nearby. And why is that playing in a kid's game about taking pictures of Pokemon? <laughs> what is happening? I'm just imagining the director's commentary with the, the alien isolation, like, like story director is <laughs> like, yeah, I was just a big fan of Pokemon Snap, and I felt like they really captured the vibe in the Rainbow <laughs> Cloud level that I was going for with Alien Isolation. So. I, I mean, knowing knowing horror movies, I'm sure that was absolutely the source <laughs> for that scene in the video game Alien Isolation. But no, it was just, it was so, it's so weirdly intense for a game that for the most part is very chill and does have very pared down audio and very pared down music. It was like, Oh, Whoa, Whoa, I got to catch this Pokemon or apparently everyone dies. I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're right. It, it is like, cause there's energetic music in the game, but that music is like panic inducing. It's, yeah. it's like you're under threat. Suddenly. It, it literally sounds like a heartbeat. Yeah. Like playing really fast, which I, I, I do the, I mean, I feel like I keep saying, oh, I really like horror, but yeah, yeah. I mean, there we, there it is. Like, I do like <laughs> horror, and I watch a lot of horror movies, and I like horror games, and that is something that they'll actively use on the soundtrack of horror franchises across the board to make you more stressed and to, like, get you more ramped up. So it was a really interesting choice for this <laughs> entry-level Pokemon game, but, like... It, it did what it intended to do. Like I was no, uh, the most stressful part of that game was trying to catch a picture of Mew. And it has always been the most stressful part of that game. Yeah. Huh. I guess. So that's them at the last minute. Cause that's like the bonus stage, right? So you're mm-hmm. only going to get there if you've got the metal to get the Pokemon <laughs> signs or whatever. Um, 
I do think uh, we can't possibly talk about the audio without mentioning that you better like the sound of an old fashioned camera taking film pictures because this game is, you know, it's a relatively short experience, but you know, assuming you're playing semi casually, you're not trying to burn through it. It's like a one to three hour, you know, Mm kind of sit around and, and goof off play, you know, take some pictures of Pokemon. And if you don't like the sound of a shutter, just 60 times per level, then it's not going to be a good experience for you because it's just click, 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 Well, and there's, there's two noises. There's the zoom noise when you like go into picture mode. And then there's the click noise when you actually take a picture. So it's a combo move of the like, whoop, click. So you need to be really prepared to hear that combo of sounds a lot. Which I, 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 it never bothered me. But I also walked into the picture-taking game prepared for the accoutrement of picture-taking. But if you like, if that noise rubbed you the wrong way, that game would literally be unplayable. Oh yeah, and and in the defense of the sound designers, it's not a grating noise. It's not mm-hmm. tinny. It's not overly bass. Like it, it is fairly subtle. Like a really like a real shutter click would be mm-hmm. fairly subtle. Um, and I think the zoom noise isn't like the sound of a camera zooming. It's more like a whoop, right? It's mm-hmm. it's like a cartoony, like you've leaned in now kind of. Um, so that that's fine. That's also not offensive. But it, as you, you said earlier, like we have to pick it apart, right? So I'm, I'm intentionally <laughs> paying close attention to the audio and mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a glass shattering thing, right? Once you realize like, wow, I hear that clicky noise 60 times per play <laughs> and it's one of the only sound effects because the little mm-hmm. car you're in doesn't really make any noises that I could think of. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pokemon moving through space often makes no noise. Like if they come out of like the brush or they jump out of the water, there might be a sound effect for like a second, but the world is relatively quiet just like it's relatively sparse so one of the only sound effects in the game is this clicking noise like and you just you hear it a crap ton no it it was actually really interesting because i've i've played this game an embarrassing amount since the (laughs) late 90s um and i never realized how much the sound effects in this game are geared almost exclusively towards facilitating gameplay the Pokemon only make noise when you are close enough to them or they are doing something that will make for a good shot, like a splash noise or saying, you know, doing its little Pokemon, saying its name, whatever. Like when you're going up the beach level and there's that one random Meowth that's like up out of your view, it only says Meowth when it pops up over the edge and you can get a picture of it. And that's it's that way on every single level completely across the board. Like you said, there's no sound that the... uh the vehicle makes, except for the brakes, which mm-hmm. we can talk about in controls because I <laughs> hate that noise with such a fiery passion. But I mean, every splash, every environmental sound, even the camera shutter is only there to let you know, yes, congratulations, you have successfully taken a picture of a Pokemon. Of a pocket man's. Um, <laughs> no, and, and I think that's, again, an intentional design choice to make the game more accessible to younger, less games literate players, right? Mm-hmm. And even uh even to the point where someone probably distinctly thought, okay, the world will be visually sparse. 
and it will be auditorily sparse so that anything you see and anything you hear will direct your attention toward the one and only objective taking a good mm-hmm. photograph of pocket man's. So they, exactly. they like, it's hard to argue with that level of focus on the objective. Um, and unless you have anything else for audio, that's probably as good a segue as we're going to get into controls and mechanics. I, I just have one note because this has, this is something that I would do as a kid and it's something that I did this run and like cackled maniacally while doing. Um, so the one audio thing that I think is really interesting that they specifically pull out in the um, in the cave level. So when you are going through the cave, there are three Jigglypuff that are being chased by coughing for reasons unknown. I don't know what crimes they committed. Coughings I don't know if it was a hit. What? Coughings are jerks. Hopping, hot coughings are jerks. Like they're part of the mafia and they're trying to hit all the, like, I don't know. I don't know what the story is. I'm, I'm staying out of it. But if you save them from the coughing at the very end of the level, there's a little stage that the Jigglypuff will go and sing on. If you don't save any Jigglypuff, the the background music just plays and you just go buy it as whatever, no big deal. If you save at least one Jigglypuff when you're going by, the background music fades out and you get to listen to Jigglypuff sing, which is like, oh, this is cute. Like, I saved you. Now you're putting on a play for me. This is awesome. At the end of the game, when you get the Poke Flute, where you can play different music mm-hmm. to like get Pokemon to do things, if you go through that level, save at least one Jigglypuff so you have the Jigglypuff on stage, and then play the Poke Flute while it's singing, the Jigglypuff will stop singing and glare angrily at you until you stop playing the Poke Flute. And that, to me, is one of the funniest things I have ever seen in a video game, Barn. <laughs> oh my god. See, that... <laughs> That's the kind of gentle touch that makes me want to create art. Like, (laughs) I mean, I mean, like I'm, I'm being completely serious. Like someone, someone or someone's had the realization that there was a, like a music generating tool that was given, you know, in terms of the poke flute, which by the way, poke flute, is that a thing? I yeah okay. I'm pretty sure okay. I think I'm remembering that right I don't know. okay I'm not I'm no, not I mean, a doctor is, it, is that a thing outside of this game oh like oh, is that God. a Pokemon thing I don't think that there's like a Poke flute that is crucial to your understanding of Pokemon but I mean instruments pop up in weird places okay. and is that it's not like Link's ocarina no okay. no 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 <laughs> I didn't know if Ash was like a flute player and that was like a thing <laughs> I should know um. So, okay. So the, someone sat down and was like, oh, we have an instrument in the game that the player controls. And there's mm. this Pokemon that for reasons I'm not entirely clear on, music is like their thing, right? If that's, that's a, that is actually a thing from like the no, show I, and I know, stuff. And, yeah. I've played Smash Brothers. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. No, there's the whole singing. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But then to make those two things interact in a way that gains you nothing, right? It it mm-hmm. changes nothing about the game. It's just there for the player. Like that's that is the kind of Easter egg that makes me want to like learn graphic design, music composition, and programming <laughs> so I can make a game just put Easter eggs in it. So not only does it ch- it's so it does change things for the player, but 
it actually makes them worse for you. If you make the Jigglypuff angry and take a picture of it, you lose the bonus of Jigglypuff on stage <laughs> and you get a worse score for taking the picture of the angry Jigglypuff. <laughs> I kid you not, I literally did it intentionally on this playthrough because I couldn't remember how it impacted things. And I just remembered finding it funny as a kid. And it, it yeah, it, it, it actually lowers your score. Yeah. If that doesn't make you want to make video games, I just don't know what would. <laughs> because that is the kind of totally pointless feature that some developer was like, this is going to be amazing. And and like, it's just, it's just for them. Right. And then other people also enjoy it because it's also a good thing. But someone added that or someone's, you know, the team added that mm-hmm. to the game because they just thought it was a good idea. Yeah, Uh, it's good. And that's the beautiful thing about video games. Thank you you for sharing that moment with me because I (laughs) did not get to the polka flute. uh, So I did not get to to charm or apparently piss the hell off the Jigglypuff. (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm I'm happy to share that. But speaking of the poke flute, now do we have a good segue to controls? Yes. (laughs) So, yeah, the, the controls... I mean, I, I don't always uh, feel obligated to denote the controls for games specifically unless they're really good or really bad. And the controls in this game are really nothing like. Yeah, they're very, very pared down. Very basic. Uh, the one thing that I personally disagree with is the default is inverted Y axis. Yes. And that <laughs> is a shocking decision in my mind. Like shocking that when I, I turn this game on for the first time and I pick up my ridiculous controller and I go to, you know, look at a Pidgey that's up instead of down and I hit up and the, the little reticle goes down. I was like, really? <laughs> so just to, what, what is the thing you guys say? Part the kimono just to, <laughs> it's, uh, it's open open the kimono <laughs> whatever pay no attention to the man behind the curtain <laughs> pay no attention to um, the man inside my kimono just to reveal my own bias in this situation um so for a long time i c- literally could not play video games not in inverted mode like i for whatever reason that was so ingrained i had to play with inverted controls so whenever i played video games i would always switch the controls to inversion to inverted and my friends used to joke like there's a game out there that did this to you that ruined you for life like one day we're going to figure out what this game is and years later i rediscovered my copy of pokemon snap and went to play it and it was inverted controls and i literally paused the game and was like oh my God, this is it. This is the game that broke me. I played that game so often as a child, I literally (laughs) could not play any game that wasn't inverted. Huh? Yeah. So I'm... The reason this bothers me is because I believe there is a time for inverted controls. And I Mm -hmm. believe there is a time not for inverted controls. And... (laughs) You do not have a camera over the character's shoulder, which, by the mm-hmm. way, is, now is as good a time as any. What did you name yourself? Um, it's not something I can say without you bleeping it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, then let me get ready to make a note here with the timestamp. What did you name yourself? 
I named myself what I always name myself in video games because it is the funniest thing to name myself, which is <laughs> as in, hey, come back to the lab. I have something to show you. It creates a nice antagonistic relationship with all of your allies. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's awesome. I, I can I can respect that. Um, so... <laughs> I, uh, the listeners will never know. They may guess, but will they really know? Um, so I named myself a phonetic spelling of voyeur. <laughs> right? Which, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't like super tickled by that. Like, it's not the best joke I've ever made, but I was like, oh, it's funny because I'm like a weirdo. <laughs> and, and like, <laughs> no, that's clever. I like right? that. I was like, my entire background is that some old man has hired me to go out and take photographs for him. And I don't, he says he's putting them in a report, but really do we know that? Do we ever get a printed copy of the report? No. And he makes Ash. So in, in the original blue and red Pokemon games, the whole thing that professor, like the whole reason professor Oak is there is he gives you like his, the Pokedex and the whole thing you're supposed to be doing is catching as many different kinds of Pokemon as possible. So he can list them in an index. Mm -hmm. Like this is, this is a serial thing that he does. And I don't know why (laughs) I don't know who did this to him, but he just finds children and forces them to travel the world without his teleportation magic, (laughs) indexing all of the Pokemon in the world. And like, that is the cruelest thing I can imagine a grown up doing to a random child who maybe just wants to casually play Pokemon, man. Maybe I don't want to catch them all. Maybe I just want to catch some and go home and have dinner. <laughs> that would have made a well, way less compelling theme song. <laughs> <laughs> but it would be a little more realistic for some of the, the folks playing the game, perhaps. Remind me after the show to uh, send you the the... Oh God, I think it's Randy. Um, it's like a, a dorkly comic and it's, it's this, okay. he basically goes on Red's journey, but he's terrible. But like, he really wants to be the very best, but he's super uh-huh. not. And like all of the terrible things that happen from trying to go on the hero's journey when you are incredibly mediocre. Oh, okay. I will do my best to remember. That. <laughs> um, but anyway, my, Back to third person camera. Uh, it it bothers me when it's a first person view with an inverted camera because in my mind, and I'm not even saying that I'm right, but in my mind, that is backwards because mm. I'm not thinking about like pulling the, the flight stick back or pushing the butt of my gun down to raise mm-hmm. the barrel up. I'm literally just moving the reticle around on the screen and the fact that yeah. left and right work like left and right, but up and down do not work like up and down is mentally really backwards for me. And I have played mm-hmm. games that did not allow you to change the inversion. So I know that whatever my default position is, if I think it should be inverted or I think it should be normal and it's not, I can learn to deal with it. But it's one of those things where I'm always like, I'm just it's like if you hurt your dominant hand and you have to do stuff with your offhand, like you can function, but you're always aware that you're not doing it the way you want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And after, you know, years of training myself to not play inverted controls, it was very jarring to go back to that, especially because you're right. Like when you're doing the first person, you are, the camera is just your, your head. It is your eyes. And when I 
move my head up, I look up. When I move my head down, I move down. So it's not as intuitive in a first-person perspective. Although I'm trying to remember other N64 games in general and how often inverted controls were used. And I don't remember if there was ever a period where that was just the the default or if this is just like, hey, Pokemon Snap, we've decided to do this for reasons. Yeah, I mean, so the N64 era of games was when thumbsticks were introduced, right? So it, it's mm-hmm. possible that they added inverted controls where you might not normally expect them just because the designers were like, well, it's a flight stick. So we're going to make it function like a flight stick, right? It's a little tiny mm-hmm. flight stick for your thumb. So it's going to function like a little tiny flight stick. And then it wasn't until later that people said, yeah, this doesn't make sense universally in all contexts. Sometimes up should just be up. And and I, <laughs> right. Like that's a lesson that they had to learn. Um, it's mm-hmm. also possible that uh, since pocket man's is very popular in the United States, but it's, unbelievably like rip your hair out popular in Japan. So it could also be a cultural thing. Like maybe Japanese gamers prefer inverted controls. And so when they brought it to Hmm. other markets, they just, cause you can switch it. And so maybe they just left that as the default. I I don't know, but like I, I can imagine legitimate reasons, cultural or, or game design, you know, being new to this type of input device, like, why they would have made it inverted. It's just one of those things that for me, like my mental model, I was like, no first person. I am not physically raising the camera. I'm just moving this circle around the screen. And why are two of my directions backwards? So, I mean, literally I got (laughs) three seconds into the first level and then I just reset the console and was like, that had better be flippable in the options menu. No, that's completely fair. Um, going going back to the controls sort of in general, though, they are very, very pared down. And this is why, I don't know if you remember this, you and I had a conversation a while ago about um, what games you should use to introduce kids to gaming. Because mm-hmm. you asked me, because you've got two kids, and you asked me specifically what N64 games I thought were more kid-friendly and were a little bit easier to sort of ease kids into the world of playing video games. And Pokemon Snap, I think, was the first game I recommended because it is like that first-person perspective. You're getting used to looking at things in the environment and, you know, shooting them, (laughs) (laughs) but without any violence. But the controls are incredibly simple. You look around, you zoom the camera in, you take a picture, and then when you're not zoomed in, you have basically three buttons you can hit to throw things at the world. And that's it. That, that is your entire, like you don't have to walk. And those you are don't introduced have to do any of that. Slowly. Very slowly. Yeah, you, you don't have your throwy things. I think until after the third level. Yeah. They give them to you one at a time. You get the apple first and it is, it's like you get like two levels in, you get the first one, you get like another level or two in. you get the next one, you get another level or two in and you'd get the um like the speed boost the dash mm-hmm. engine or whatever the heck it's called uh at the end when you need to go back through the levels to get the pokemon signs which i love this game this game is perfect except <laughs> for the speed boost engine <laughs> which i'm just going to segue and talk about that now cuz we're in controls and i feel like it that is the that is the best thing ever you need to be able to speed through those levels if you're doubling back for things 
the game is so on the rails that if you introduce a new speed on any of them, you're going to run into a Pokemon and it brings you to an ass grinding halt, like completely dead stop, horrifying screeching brake noise. And every time it happened, it made me just like more angry than I should have been. (laughs) Well, and you are not only is it jarring and the sound is annoying, but then you have to wait for them to go through their little animation. Cause Mm -hmm. I can't believe this didn't cross my mind until just now, but this game is a Disney ride, right? Mm-hmm. All of the Pokemon move in an exactly predictable pattern 100% of the time. And you can interact with some of them through, you know, the the frequently mentioned throw crap at them buttons. <laughs> but even when you do that, they will move in an exactly predictable way. So really, mm-hmm. you are less on a nature safari and more taking pictures on it's a small world. And the reason that that's relevant is if you crash into a Pokemon that normally would have casually walked across the screen so you could take its picture. You now have to sit there and wait for it to go through its little loop. It's not like it gets up and gets out of your way. It finishes its animation, no matter how long that delays you. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're just trying to speed run through the game because you have to record an episode, it is deeply <laughs> infuriating. <laughs> you tried so casually to insert that (laughs) you know when you're speed running right before a recording like one does listen i know that i can okay the fastest i've ever played this game was 45 minutes i beat the game beginning to end got pictures of all of the pokemon that are in it like all 63 even though there's 150 pokemon and that still bother i don't know why i mean i'm assuming it's just limitations of the technology but that still bothers me that they did that um 45 minutes this run took me longer because i was trying to be conscientious and take notes and was going doubling back more and doing more things but every time i hit a pokemon and came to a grinding halt it was like no (laughs) (laughs) i got a deadline here not used to that with I'm not used to deadlines with video games. This is supposed to be casual and fun. Why isn't this fun? Yeah, there, there's a Komodo opening moment for you. Like one of the weirdest things about doing nostalgia goggles is every once in a while, I'm like, am I am I ruining the thing I like? <laughs> <laughs> and it hasn't happened yet, but I've come close a couple times where I'm like, I am sucking the fun out of this thing that is ostensibly my favorite hobby. <laughs> It is it is definitely a very different experience playing a video game to critique it versus just playing a video game because video games are a form of entertainment. And that that was an interesting experience. So uh, thank you for introducing me to that. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I think we need to... Uh, we cannot talk about the mechanics in the game without explicitly addressing uh, the just dice rolling that is your score on photos. (laughs) So uh, let's be really explicit Mm -hmm. about this. Just for anyone who's never touched this game has no idea what we've been talking about for an hour. Uh, You drive around in your go-kart and you take pictures of pocket man's and then uh, professor Oak slave driver Oak there says, I'm now going to show you all the pictures you took and you pick the ones you want me to review and I will judge you on them. 
And then, <laughs> and you have, I, I wrote down all the categories. Um, so you're judged based on if it's a special Pokemon thing. So you can get like, you can sort of make Pokemon do specific poses or interact with each other in specific ways. Mm-hmm. And you can get bonuses for that. It's based on the size of the Pokemon in the frame. It's based on the Pokemon's pose. It's based on the technique and it's based on whether or not there are multiple of the same Pokemon in the, in the Which shot. I, am I wrong? Is the technique just it's in the center of the frame? That is 100% what it is. And literally in my notes, there's an arrow next to it that I just wrote the algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> so as a fan, that's how I feel about the way Professor Oak judges your photos. Like I've had to learn to game. I learned to how to game the system, but I had to learn how to game that system. It even now as an adult, there are pictures that I've shown and he'll give me my score and I'll be like, Oh, come on. That was perfect. Get out of here. Yeah. yeah no, there's some, some invisible math that is happening that is like just askew from the human eye, right? Because <laughs> if, if it was, I feel like they overcomplicated it. And if they just said, Oh, if they're in the frame, if they're in the picture at all, then you get like a check for that. And if they're roughly in the center, you get a check for that. But because you get points, there are definitely times where I was like, Oh wow, this this is like a thousand point photo. Oh, that's amazing. And then there are other <laughs> ones where he was literally like zero, zero points. And I'm like, <laughs> then why did you even accept it? Like what? Why is this one even passable in your mind? If it is worthless, I <laughs> was zero a passing grade. I, so I feel like this is the problem though is, and this is maybe why you don't get a lot of, games that are centered around let's take pictures of things and then review them photography is an art form it's not a part of the stem fields <laughs> and professor oak is trying to scienceify which i believe is the technical term yes taking pictures <laughs> when it is in fact literally something that gets hung in art museums like it is it is an art form and it is something you have to learn and have to have an eye for and you can't just say, oh, well, that Pokemon's too far away. So you only get 200 points and f- you. <laughs> like, shut up, old man. You don't know anything. You know nothing about. And at the end, when you've taken a picture of all of the Pokemon, Professor Oak will say, well, I can't teach you anything else. It's all up to you now. Like, go back out in the world. Like, congratulations. I'm like, you taught me nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I gave you everything, Professor Oak, and you just trashed all of my artwork. You never hung any of it up. You put it in a book and locked it to safe. I'm whatever, old man. I'm out. <laughs> I got better things to I do. I feel like you've been carrying this grudge against Professor Oak that is like I'm just starting to see the surface of. <laughs> Listen, I was giving him cover of National Geographic grade material, and he was going, you know, it's a little off center, so. Don't you know the rule of thirds, you dumb old man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so oh, so gosh. this this is my my critique on the scoring system is there shouldn't be one. There should be a pass fail system. It should be mm. especially I mean I feel like everything we have said about the visuals and the audio and the mechanics thus far is pretty much confirming our hypothesis that this game is directed at younger children or people with mm-hmm. a way lower games literacy. And 
having a scoring system that is poorly implemented <laughs> feels like it would create a lot of opportunity for frustration. So m- maybe the idea was like, oh, well, not to make a, a poorly implemented algorithm, but to say like, oh, well, if you get a bad score, that incentivizes you to go back and try and get a better score. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know what incentivizes me to want to take better pictures? Getting better pictures. Like if I am actually saving photos into my album, which you can do, and then I am looking through them because I like them, I, I don't want a picture I took that I think is really great to be uh, stained in my memory because I'm like, oh, this is the one that when I showed <laughs> Professor Oak, he sh- all over it because he's a prick. <laughs> I, so I completely agree. And I, I remember as a kid that frustrating me because it is not the best designed algorithm in the world. Um, like the Pokemon basically have to be directly facing the camera in the center of the screen and they have to be big enough to fill the entire frame of the screen without going off at all to get a perfect score. And that's literally impossible for all of them. So why? Um, I do, I will say though that it does encourage two things that I, I do really like about the scoring system. One is that you're only ever comparing yourself to your own score. It's never about, oh, well, this other guy got a perfect score. You're only ever trying to beat your last best score, mm-hmm. essentially. So there, it, it helps with the frustration a little bit where when you get that terrible picture and show it to him and it's like, yeah, it's only worth 200 points. And you're like, shut up, old man, you know nothing. And then you go and get a better picture and come back and that one's worth 2,000 points. You do feel really triumphant watching the bad picture go away and the nicer picture take its place. Um, I also think well, it I, encourages n- something. Nicer oh, sorry, by very specific criteria. I definitely <laughs> took some pictures that I was like, oh, that's a cool picture. And he was like, oh, 400 points. It's so, so I'm like, screw you. This is like girl with the green eyes quality photography. Like people will be talking about this EV for the rest of your life. Old man, which is getting shorter by the minute with these BS critiques you're giving me. <laughs> like, listen, if you wanted Ansel Adams, you should have hired Ansel Adams, but you got me. All right. You're getting the best I can give yeah, you. <laughs> yeah. You, you enslaved children for labor for your Pokemon report. You're going to get child slave labor quality. Like, what do you, what do you want here? <laughs> so going back to what I was saying, <laughs> the other thing that I think this teaches kids to do, which I think is a really important thing to teach kids to do within the context of video games and in life in general, is how to game the system. Mm. Because you don't necessarily learn how to take great pictures using Pokemon Snap, but you learn how to take the pictures Professor Oak wants to see. And that's a terrible thing to say, but a big part of video games is figuring out how to give the video game what it wants consistently. I'm I'm trying to decide if I want to share a thought I'm having or not, which is... uh, (laughs) What you just said sounds very Japanese, right? Like, <laughs> and, and I don't mean that in like a, a, a negative way, but I mean, uh, a lot of Japanese video games that are unsuccessful in the West or that never come to the West at all are make the number bigger games. Mm. And, and there's a very clear sense of there are rules and whether or not you agree with them, the rules can be defined and exploited. 
And mm. and those kinds of games, I don't I don't know why. I don't know if it's a cultural thing. I don't know if it's just coincidence. But those kinds of games happen to, it, as far as I can think, be more popular in the Eastern world than they are in the Western world. And this mechanic very much jives with what you just said, right? Don't take the picture that makes you the player happiest. Take the picture that makes the teacher give you an A. <laughs> Oh God! I feel like that. I just revealed way too much about myself as a student <laughs> within, that, within that context. But but I, I do think that that to a certain extent is a part of games literacy, though. Totally. Like I agree that it's less a part of Western games than a part of the games that you were describing. But it's sometimes you do things in video games not because you're having a good time, but because it's what the game stipulates you need to be doing and learning how to sort of interact with game systems and sometimes break game systems is a big part of like playing video games, being a gamer, being invested in that world. I mean, there's whole YouTube channels devoted to, I found out how to exploit this glitch. I mean, you just talked about it on the uh, Final Fantasy Tactics video. (laughs) (laughs) You found the glitch of the game. (laughs) You exploited the hell out of it and you used that to beat the game faster than you would have otherwise. That's everyone I know has a story like that for at least one video game that they enjoy playing. It's just a part of playing video games. Well, and nowhere is it as explicit as in a game that has a scoring system. Because if you do thing A and you get a thousand points and you do thing B and you get a thousand and one points, then you literally have a metric to define that thing B is the better thing to do right? Mm -hmm. Everything else is subjective. Do I like this photograph more? Do I like that one more? Do I think he should have liked this one more? doesn't matter what I think because the score is indisputable. You may Mm -hmm. disagree with it, but you cannot argue that one set of steps led to a thousand and one points and the other set of steps led only to a thousand points. And (laughs) I don't think like, I'm not going to pretend to know enough about human psychology or the different cultures of the world to say like, Oh, well, Certain people feel this way about, you know, catering to authority and blah, blah, blah. I have no idea, right? And anything I say would just sound completely ignorant. But you cannot argue that the game gives you criteria by which you can get more points. And it also lays down the expectation that more points is better. Here's what you do Mm -hmm. to get more of this thing. Well, but what about the artistic quality of the photograph? Nobody gives a crap. Here's what you do to get a larger number, (laughs) right? It's like, no, I don't agree that that number should be larger. doesn't matter. Larger number. Art doesn't matter. You know what sells papers? Pictures of (laughs) (laughs) Spider-Man. How in God's name did we make it this far into the episode without referencing J. Jonah Jameson? I mean, just just absolutely fantastic work. Thank you. I, I really, I really appreciate it. Have you it, uh, been sitting on that and just hoping you could get like 90 minutes in or did you actually not think of that until just now? I honestly didn't think of that until just now. The reference I've been sitting on is a fatal frame reference, oh, no. but I haven't had a good segue yet and I don't know if I will. So consider that the fatal frame reference of the episode. There you go. All right. So then uh, at at this point, then I think, is it, is it fair to ask how we felt about its hold up ability? 
Well, I do have one last control thing that I wanted to gripe about that I have been sitting on and waiting to complain about because it's not just something this game does, but it's something a bunch of games do. And I hate it forever. And whoever came up with this needs to die. Um, so when you have to press A to skip through a text box faster, and then you get to the end of what they were saying, and it says, hey, do you want to hear this again? And that's the same button that you hit to skip through things. So you hit it accidentally, and you have to hear the whole thing all over again. Whoever came up with that needs to die. <laughs> yeah, and I, I agree with you, absolutely. And that is one more sprinkle on the cupcake of this game is meant for children. because a kid is likely to just be spamming the I don't care about any of this button, but then they're missing information that they need to be successful in the game. And so if they continue to spam that button, the information gets thrown at them ad infinitum forever, right? Because they're now trapped in a loop where they're trying to rush through a thing that is causing the loop to repeat. And I honestly have always thought that that was just dumb people being stupid but I think it may in fact not be malice and not be ignorance. I think it may be intentional. If someone is likely to blaze through this thing, that knowing is crucial for their success, make the button they use to skip it also force them to repeat it because that is exactly what happens in Ocarina of Time. That stupid, stupid owl, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you need that information. You cannot proceed on on like a first playthrough or on an unfamiliar playthrough without that information. And because, like I said, Nintendo tends to cater toward a family-friendly audience so that all all age ranges, all games literacy ranges are more likely to be successful in their franchises, I can almost guarantee you that that is done on purpose. And I hate it. Hate it. <sighs> hate it i'm with you yeah. because my game's literacy is not bad and if i want to skip this text it's because i don't need to read it i yeah i never thought of that you're absolutely right and i also hate it <laughs> yeah. all, right. all right well i just need to get that off my chest we can we can roll we can roll to the end <laughs> Yeah, your therapy session, you're good. Um, yeah. No. So, so then we we have to ask. Then the the question is: Did this game hold up for you? Um. So in use. So using the nostalgia goggles system of ratings, it's uh right. It's it's no nostalgia goggles, nostalgia monocle, and nostalgia goggles. Correct. Correct. Yeah. No nostalgia goggles required. Being the best. Nostalgia goggles required. Being the worst. I, I would probably give it a nostalgia monocle. I think it is a very solid game for kids that I would absolutely use as a sort of, this is going to sound horrible, as a gateway drug into getting the children <laughs> in my life sucked into video games. But as an adult sort of going back in time and playing it again, especially since now we have sort of been blessed with so many other Pokemon games and things like Pokemon Go, which are even more immersive than this was and, and sort of more groundbreaking. It it holds up okay, but it doesn't hold up quite as well as the version of me that played it so many times. I literally couldn't play games not on inverted controls. Like, I don't think it's that good. It's enjoyable, but I don't know if it's quite there. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so having not played this, right? So I'm I'm the noob to this game. Mm -hmm. Um I would say that 
it was exactly what I expected <laughs> and, and for better or worse, right? Because like I'm, I'm an adult. I have a fairly high games literacy. That doesn't mean I can't enjoy a simple experience that is kind of aimed at younger and, and lower games literacy players, but it's, it's, it's a piece of candy, right? It's like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want hours and hours and hours of this, but I got what I expected. It's very simply, it's very simple. Mechanically, the visuals and audio are very simple and are there entirely to support the mechanics. Like you said, it's, it's 90 minutes of, you know, bring me pictures of Pikachu. The curtain falls. The music plays. The credits roll. Then it all fades to black. And you're left by yourself. The fanfare is gone. There's no player two there by your side to share victories won. But as you slowly progress down the hall to your bed, a few great events leak back into your head from the time that you spent traversing the land, battling evil, fighting the darkness, just sword in hand, your memories creeping. The edge of a smile You realize again What you lost for a while You gonna think back much less On how you saved the day Than on all The experience gained At the end of it all Gamers play what we play Not for game Professor Oak is J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> That's I've been since you made that reference. I've been thinking this is how I'm going to end the episode. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs>